Romans chapter 8. I hope you brought your Bible with you. Bring a Bible to church. The title today is usually a phrase we say about something that gets on your nerves or is irritating. Many parents have said that about things that their children do. Once it starts, it never stops. But this not need be, as a matter of fact, it describes the most wonderful thing in the universe. Salvation by grace. Okay, once it starts, it never stops. Are you with me today? True salvation begins the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. This is true salvation. Okay, and it is forever as we are going to see. And the truth of it is this, folks. Once it starts, it never stops. Now that has deep theological implications and truth wrapped up in that. And so we want to see this in our text today, really the pinnacle of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The called, okay, they're referring to believers. It isn't that God sees humanity and says, oh, let's see here, because I am sovereign, what I will do is I will choose a small percentage of mankind to go to heaven, and the rest, too bad, you deserve hell anyway. No, that's the theology of what we call Calvinism today. Calvinism, as the late Dr. Curtis Hudson used to say, is a man-made philosophy, It is not Bible. The Bible does not teach Calvinism. And I don't care how many seminary degrees you have or how many books you've written or how much Greek you know, friend, you're ignorant of the character of God, okay? Because that is not the God of the Bible. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That refers to believers. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, God knew who would put their faith in Christ. Foreknowledge simply means to know beforehand. It doesn't mean anything more than that. All right? If you start reading some commentary or some theologian and he says, well, foreknowledge, but it isn't just foreknowledge, okay? Your flag should go up and you might say, okay, we're, we're wading into very possibly some murky water here that's not based on scripture. Scripture is clear, all right? For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Who is who's the ones he foreknew? Those who would trust Christ as Savior. God knows everything beforehand. That's what it means. And he knows who would trust Christ as Savior. And God promised certain benefits and blessings to those who would put their faith in Christ. But God doesn't make you put your faith in Christ through something that the Calvinists called irresistible grace, all right? And they mean that God, in their mind, the ones God chooses for salvation, eternal life, they say, well, God bestows towards them irresistible grace. That's the I in the word tulip that they cling to. And you can't resist it. You can't resist it because God is kind of poured it out on you or sprayed it on you or something. And you can't resist it. Therefore, you are going to respond to God because God ordained that. No, friend, that is not what the Bible says. Anybody can be saved. Now, God knows who will be saved, yes, but he opens it up to everybody. And for those who do trust Christ the Savior, there's many benefits. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, That's ultimately one day glorification. But in the meantime, it's our sanctification. God's working in our lives as believers. 
to make us more godly, more like his son. Now, to what extent you change is to the extent you cooperate with God working in your life. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren, the Lord Jesus, moreover whom he did predestinate. Predestinate for what? Not for heaven. Predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. Moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called. I said, well, he called them. Yes, he did. But just like anybody calls you, you have to pick up your phone, right? And whom he called, them he also justified through faith in Christ. We know that's how. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He declares righteous. That's what the word justified means. It's a judicial term. Here you go, because it goes right into our context today. The God of the universe, the sovereign God of the universe is the judge as well. And when you put your faith in Christ, he declares you, the gavel of heaven comes down and he declares you as righteous. God himself declares you as righteous. That's what it means. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice all the past tenses there in that, okay? This is important to understand, which leads us to our first point today, the eternal nature the eternal nature of our salvation. When we trust Christ as Savior, it is not the end. It is the beginning. Heaven, from God's perspective, is not the end goal. From God's perspective, it's the beginning of his plan for us, which is an amazing plan. When we trust Christ as Savior, it is not the end, but the beginning. For the rest of eternity, we will be living within our salvation. When you put your faith in Christ, you entered into an eternal relationship with your eternal Father. It's the most thrilling thing in all the world. We are saved forever, even to the point of, according to verse 30, already being glorified in the eyes of God. Now think of that. God sees me as glorified already. This clearly gives us the assurance of salvation. If I'm already glorified, that means God has completely baked me, okay? I am there. I am the finished product. In God's mind, he sees me in eternity, and I'm already in heaven with him. Now he knows I'm not there yet in space-time, but I am there in eternity, Now, friend, let me ask you this. If I'm already in heaven and I'm glorified in the eyes of God, then how can I ever be lost again? Nowhere do you see that in Scripture. Nowhere. Here's the truth of it. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm just simply a sinner saved by grace. Here's the truth of it. I'm as sure of heaven as if I'm already there. Now, if you don't have that assurance of salvation, you don't understand biblical salvation. You don't understand it. But let us pause for a few minutes here and focus on some false teaching that is contradictory to this, that is embraced by lots of people today. Part of teaching the truth is also teaching what is false. So you see the contrast between the two. The first false teaching we want to touch on just for a few minutes is something called Calvinism. Again, Calvinism, named after John Calvin. The false teaching of Calvinism says that you cannot be absolutely sure of your salvation until you die, persevering in faithfulness to the day you die. 
Oh, they'll say, oh, you can have some mess-ups along the way, but you always rebound, you always bounce back, and you're always back in fellowship. That's why famous, famous Calvinists of the last 50 years, on their deathbeds, they were saying, as they were dying of cancer and so forth, they were saying, please pray that I can die in the faith. What a sad misunderstanding of Scripture. Listen, if you've trusted Christ, you're in the faith. You may not be in fellowship with God, but you're in the faith. You're saved because God only gives everlasting life. Everlasting life. And according to the Calvinists, again, they say you can't be absolutely sure of your salvation until you die persevering in faithfulness. So according to them, you must remain faithful. So what exactly are you looking to for your salvation? Is it not your performance? Now they would say no, but friend, that is what you're looking at is your performance. I think it's much better to look at what Jesus said when he died on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. We have eternal life, not because we persevere. They also teach, by the way, this, a lot of people don't know this about Calvinists or Calvinism. By the way, not all Calvinists believe all five points, which really is a mystery. Listen, if there are parts of it that are defective, why would you want it? Let's say you're going to go buy a car and they say, well, you know, here's a brand new car, whatever brand, you choose whichever brand you want. Here's a brand new car. And we just want you to know as you're buying this brand new car and you're locking into this large amount of money, which nowadays is as much as the first house we bought, we want you to know that there are certain parts of it that are defective. And so sign on the dotted line. You might say, I don't think I want this. You know what, folks? You don't want Calvinism. It's defective. How much of it? All five points. All five points. I know people will get offended by that. Nobody in this room, hopefully. Maybe somebody watches this down the road. And by the way, friend, if you are one of those, you don't need to write me and object, okay? I know people object to it, but I want you to examine the scriptures, not the writings of others, examine the scripture. You will not come up with Calvinism if you believe the Bible. You just won't. They also teach this, that God regenerates you before you believe. If you're one of the elect, God regenerates you before you believe. Now that's a fancy way of saying you become born again before you believe. Because that's what regeneration is, is the new birth. Regeneration is the new birth. Now, I got a question. Now think about that. By the way, have any of you ever heard that before? That's what they teach. You can't even believe. You have to be regenerated before you can believe. That's what they teach. Check it out, by the way. I'm not making this stuff up. Now, question. If I have to be born again before I believe, then why do I have to believe? If the point is to be born again and God regenerates me of his own doing, and then I can believe because they say we're so corrupt we can't even believe. That's not true, by the way. That's not true. But that's another part of this. But if I have to be born again before I believe, then why do I have to believe? In John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born again. And then he told him how. And it's found in John 3.16. Look at it. Nick. You need to be born again or you won't see the kingdom. You won't enter the kingdom. How can a man be born again? Can he climb back into his mother's womb and be born again? Boy, you talk about labor. Look at it. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's being born again. You were dead, now you have everlasting life. And how did you get it based on John 3.16? By believing or trusting in Jesus Christ as the one at that time, the one who was going to die for the sins of the world, we know he did, as a full payment, he died, was buried, rose from the grave. If you trust in him, if you believe in him as your savior, the promise is you will not perish. You won't go to hell, but you have everlasting life. When? When you believe. Jesus made that clear in John six forty seven. He that believeth on me has right then everlasting life. It's so clear. It's so simple. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it's not based on your works. Look at it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We're not saved of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if I'm not saved by my works, then I don't need to persevere to the end of my life to find out whether I'm saved or not. I can know I'm saved now because it doesn't depend on what I do. It depends on what Jesus did for me. And he did it. And God was satisfied The father was satisfied. Why? Because he raised him from the dead. Romans 4, verse 25, he was raised for our justification. So this is key for us to understand, but there's another false teaching, and it's called Arminianism. And the Arminians say that you can lose your salvation once you have it. So the Calvinists aren't sure that whenever they have it, because they're looking to their works as proof that they're one of the elect, And then the Arminians say, well, I have it today, but I may not have it tomorrow. So really, friend, do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when I die? Well, if I stay faithful, isn't that interesting? The Calvinists say, well, I'll know I'm saved if I stay faithful to the end of my life. The Arminians say, well, I know I'm saved if I stay faithful to the end of my life. And you got got Calvinists saying, you Arminians, boy, you guys are all messed up. And the Arminians are saying, you Calvinists are all messed up. Well, You guys are all messed up. (laughs) Just believe the Bible. Amen? It's not of works. It's not of works. It's by grace through faith in Christ. Neither group can offer you the salvation God offers, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And because of that, neither group can offer you the assurance of salvation. And yet what we are looking at today in our text is the epitome of the assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look at that, that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. God says, if, you're, if you believe, I'm writing this to you, my sign, written guarantee that you can know that you have eternal life. Yeah, listen, this didn't take long for me to understand. The night I understood the gospel, I knew I was going to heaven. I understood I couldn't save myself. Man illustrated it this way. You've seen me do this many times, but people say, why do you do that every week, thing with the wallet? Why do you do that every week? Well, I'll tell you what, it's dear to me. I got saved this way. This helped me understand it. Maybe it'll help you understand it. This hand represents you and me. Let this wallet represent our sin. We're all sinners according to the Bible. God loves us though. He hates our sin. But sin separates us from God. 
You can't go to heaven with even one sin. And if you die with your sin, friend, you'll be lost forever, separated from God with no second chances, no second chances. Not in purgatory. Hell, purgatory is not real. Heaven's a perfect place for me to get there. I have to be sinless, and I'm not. Therefore, no matter what I do, no amount of good works will get me into heaven because my sin has to be gone. Good works won't take it away. This is why Jesus came into the world, this hand representing him, God in the flesh. And when Jesus went to the cross, the sinless son of God, he took my sin and yours upon himself. He made the complete payment, leaving us absolutely nothing left to pay for. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. If you believe or trust in him as your savior, you can know that you have eternal life. Why? He said so. He can't lie. He's God. And I'll take his word over anybody else's, by the way. Now, that being true, go back to Romans chapter 8, and we see this wonderful plan, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Verse 31, what shall we then say to these things? What's the conclusion to all this? Well, if God be for us, who can be against us? God's on my side. The sovereign. God, the almighty God. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The gift of his son was the greatest gift of grace ever given to mankind. We are accepted in Christ. Therefore, we are heirs of God, according to Romans 8, join heirs with Christ. Now, there are many benefits and blessings in store for the believer, and we start experiencing them the moment we get saved. And how long will it last? Experiencing all the blessings and benefits of being a believer. How long will it last? Well, you guessed it, forever. It'll never stop. As a matter of fact, folks, can I tell you this? If you've trusted Christ, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And this is the future for every believer. But not only that, it isn't just getting there. It's when we get there, there's all the blessings that are yet to come. And how long? Forever. It isn't, well, we're going to throw a party once all the believers are there. And once the party's over, you know how that goes. The party's over. It's like, okay, now we got to clean up. (laughs) Guess what? It goes on forever. We can't even wrap our minds around that. Look with me to Ephesians chapter two. This is so exciting. Ephesians chapter two. We've already looked at verses eight and nine, but let's put it in reverse, a few verses, and look at this. Ephesians two, verses four through seven. Verses one through three talks about how deplorable, yes, we are, as far as holiness and purity, loss, sinners, following the God of this world, which is the devil, Without hope, verse four, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us or made us together with Christ by grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's how it it is in eternity, in the eyes of eternity, how God sees us glorified. Now look at verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We will be for all eternity the recipients of the grace of God being poured out on us 24-7. That's a worthless term in light of heaven because it's forever. No calendars, no clocks, no nothing. It's just glory in the presence of God forever. And the Lord, because we are accepted in Christ and the Father sees us as his son and and the privileges that come with that, God is just going to be dumping for all eternity his blessings upon us. Blessings, oh Lord, they're just so rich. Yeah, but I'm just gonna keep them coming. I'm just gonna keep them coming. The blessings are gonna come. Oh Lord, when's this gonna stop? It never stops. It will never stop. It'll be forever. That's what the believer has to look forward to. Oh, Lord, I don't deserve this. Yes, you're right. Something called grace. Unmerited, undeserved, because you're in Christ, you're accepted in Christ. How in the world can anybody believe you can lose your salvation? I don't get it. You can't lose your salvation. By the way, your Arminians, you know, that group, well, you can can lose it. Okay, so you get it, but you can lose it. How do you lose it? You know, they'll say, well, you lose it by turning your back on God and not living the way you should and and being wicked and sinful and all that. Okay, then let me ask you this. If you lose it by doing bad things, then how are you keeping it? It has to be by doing good things. That's works for salvation, friend. It doesn't fly. It doesn't fly. Back to Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? If you're saved, you're one of the elect. Okay, the elect are the saved, the non-elect are the unsaved. The elect are the whosoever wills, the non-elect are the whosoever wants. The elect are the saints, the non-elect are the ain'ts. There's a lot of ways you can look at it. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. What's he saying? Our God is the Lord God Almighty. He is the sovereign of the universe. He has justified us. He has declared us as righteous. Therefore, no one's accusations against us can stand because God says, "Uh uh-uh, they are righteous. I declare them as so. They're my eternal children. The devil comes. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see what your kid did down there? Yes, I saw it. What are you going to do about it? Already took care of it. Jesus says, Father, paid in full. Paid in full. Wait a minute. Did you, wait a minute. One of your kids, and look at, look at the sin that they did. Look at the sin that they did. Jesus says, uh-uh. But they did it again. Jesus says, uh-uh. Paid. 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 Now, folks, that's not, we don't look at that and say, oh, goody, look at what all the bad things I could do. No, you know what it ought to do? It ought to so humble us and move us. And we say, oh, Lord, you're so awesome. Thank you so much. I want to live for you. Not I have to, you don't have to, but I want to. That's, that's our side of this. That's the earthly side. That's where we're at today. No one's accusation against us can stand because God says so. That's why. Jesus is God and he has completely paid for our sins and makes intercession for us. We are in Christ, therefore there's no condemnation 
because we're in Christ. Here I am, a sinner. Just represent me. Two months on SlimFast. Probably six months. Anyway, here I am. Sinner, wicked, lost, undeserving. Here's Jesus. I put my faith in him. I'm in Christ. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And when God looks at me, he sees his son. Isn't that incredible? Friend, it's what you have if you're a believer. We are in Christ and therefore no condemnation. If God will not condemn us, here's the point. If God will not condemn us, then who has the authority to condemn us? There's nobody bigger than God. He's the judge and he says no. No condemnation. John chapter 5, verse 24. Look at it with me. It says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath right now everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed, is passed from death unto life. You've passed from death unto life. What a marvelous truth this is. It's, it's the consistent message of scripture, folks. Back to Romans chapter eight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, trouble that we face in this life, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What's he getting at? Is this. What a feeble savior Christ would be if the events and trials of our lives could undo the salvation he's given us and break his saving and keeping power. Well, I'm going through this, I'm going through, oh, you better hold on, you better hold on, you better hold on. No, it's good to hold on, but friend, look, look, here's an illustration. If this is me and this is Jesus, when I trusted Christ the Savior, I took him as my Savior and he got a hold of me. And you know what? I can fail and I can waver and I can have times when I am of little faith And maybe I could even get to the point as a believer where I get mad at God for one reason and in a sense I kind of let go of him. He never lets go. He will not let go of me. Ever. Ever. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Obviously the answer to that is nothing. No one, not anything. And that's going to get amplified here in just a moment. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation, your manner of life be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Friend, it's not an issue. It doesn't matter whether a person was to get to a point of failure in their life to where they wanted to forsake God. It's a matter of God has promised, I will never forsake you. I will never forsake you. So we've seen first, we've seen the eternal nature of our salvation. But secondly, we see the eternal power of our salvation. The eternal power. The very power of the omnipotent one is in us and is working on our behalf. You notice that verses 35 through 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, nay, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We have the eternal presence and the eternal power of Christ with us at all times once we are saved. Folks, there's nothing we face that has to defeat us. Nothing. We're in Christ. You got to remember, we have to keep looking at the eternal picture here. We are not only on our way to heaven, but we have the Lord's saving power active in our lives every day we live. It can transform us and it can transform our lives. How do we access that? By faith. By faith. We trust in the Lord. He says, trust me, I'm going to bring you through. Trust me, I'm going to help you with this. Trust me, he'll say to his child. Here, just do this, trust me, obey my word, trust me. I'm going to work this out. You notice in verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Okay, that's a compound word in the Greek, made up of two words. Hooper, hooper sounds like what? English word. Super. Hooper, Nikeo. Nikeo is the word that you see translated many times in the, in the New Testament as the overcomer. An overcomer. Okay? What's he getting at? You put those two concepts together. We are super overcomers. Super overcomers. Not just overcomers, we're super overcomers. I know some of you think you got a cape around your back with the S on there, okay? That's not it. That's not it, although that would, it would fit maybe in more ways than one. Um, we are nothing in ourselves, but we are everything God wants us to be because we're in Christ. That's the point. That's the point, okay? Nay, in all these things, we are super overcomers. Through him that loved us. We are nothing in ourselves, but everything God wants us to be in Christ. Which leads us to our third point, and it is this, the eternal security of our salvation. All right? This phrase came to me this week, and I thought, thank you, Lord. Okay? I like it. I like it. It's a good way to put it. We are under, for those of us who have trusted Christ as Savior, we are under divine lock and key. Nobody's getting to us and nobody's stealing us. We cannot be lost once we are saved. We do not remain saved because we persevere. We remain saved because he perseveres. It's all about Christ. It's not about us. Look with me to John chapter 10. I am just totally amazed how Satan has blinded people and is blinding people and will blind people in the future with the silly ideas that they come up with. God's word is a clear, it's like a a beautiful bell on a winter's morning that is chiming, ding, and you just hear it all over the area, all over, you hear it for miles and miles and miles. The clarity of it is there. And here in John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, you show that verse to people, and they'll say, what do you do with this? Look at this. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. 
my father, which is greater. No one can be able to pluck you out of the father's hand. I and my father are one. What do you do with that? You think you can lose your salvation. What do you do with this? They'll say, well, you can jump out though. You can jump out of his hand. Nobody can pluck you out, but you can jump out of his hand. Let me ask you something. Are you a human being? If you're a human being, it says you can't pluck you out of his hand. How secure I am, am I in Christ? I am as secure as the decree and the will of God. And he says, I cannot be lost once I'm saved. Okay? This is such an incredible truth. I am completely secure. I am under divine lock and key. And now look at verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded. It isn't, by the way, it isn't that he had doubts. It's that he was convinced. This is where he stood. Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life. Well, that kind of covers it all right there, doesn't it? Death or life? Isn't that the, the, the forever of your being? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, they're powerful, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, whether it's human, whether it's angelic, whether it's the devil, whether it's the demons, whether it's government officials, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers. Look at this now. Look at this. Nor things present, whatever's going on in your life, nor things to come, whatever's going to happen in your life. When you got saved, did God not know how you were going to live your life from that moment on? Yes? Yes. Did he not know that you were going to still sin once you were a believer? Yes. Does he know how many? Yes. Does he know what's in the future yet? Yes. And you know what he did? He saved us anyway, and he gave us everlasting life. And he said, you're not going anywhere. You're my child, and you're my eternal child, and you are as, in my eyes, you're already glorified. This is spectacular, folks. Spectacular nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. And as old Dr. M.R. Dehan used to say in his old incredibly abused, gravelly voice, he would say, and that includes you, and that includes me. I'll never forget hearing him say that on a message I heard. I couldn't hardly believe it, but you know what? Boy, he nailed it. He nailed it. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, this includes any events, failures, or happenings yet to take place in our lives. Even my sins yet to be committed are included because they're all taken care of. And they were 2,000 years ago at Calvary. As a believer, nothing can change the fact that you are saved and on your way to heaven. Nothing can change it at all. One great Bible teacher of the past said this. He said, my friend, salvation is a love story. We love him because he first loved us. Nothing can separate us from that. We entered this chapter with no condemnation. We conclude it with no separation. And in between, all things work together for good. Can you improve on this, friend? 
This is wonderful. Unquote. It's wonderful. And if you happen to be here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to do that. This is wonderful. And God offers it to you. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.